From Lauren's office, it's episode 81 of the Adam Ragusea podcast, and if I played games as long as Taylor Swift plays, I would have worked this out so that it would be episode 89, because today, <laughs> my lovely wife Lauren and I are discussing... <gasps> 1989 Taylor's version. Look at that. <laughs> yep. Oh. Doesn't she look so happy to own her music now? <laughs> you know, the kids were looking at that in front of our, our brand new record player that was our impulse purchase that occasioned this entire situation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the one of them said, oh, she looks so happy. And the other one said, oh, she looks so pretty. <laughs> and I think we both know which said which. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless. So. Hey, you're, you're driving this car, honey. I am? I, you're the one that wants to talk about Taylor Swift okay. in front of a mass audience. To be clear, we, I, I, as I have said on this podcast before, and just in general in our living life, that... <laughs> Talking with you about music is one of my favorite things, and I wish more often the people could hear you talk about music because I think you are very smart and creative about it. And um, so very politic way to handle this. It, so I got the new 1989. I have been listening to it. I have turned some of our children, some of them, both of them, into mini Swifties. So then you had to listen to it in the car with them. And you were kind of into it a little bit and you had some interesting things to say. And so I said, hey, what if we just did this for the podcast instead of. What if indeed. <laughs> so here we what are. What if indeed. So here we are. So here we are. So for the non-Swifties, uh, 1989 is a record that is about the year of Taylor's birth or the, the name is the year of taylor's birth right mm -hmm. um, is this just gonna be me correcting sure, all sure, the sure. taylor lore well no i just want to make it clear so she, they understand she made this kind of like 80s sounding pop record um in when, when did it originally come 2014. out 2014 in 2014 it also sort of marked her final hard break with her country roots yeah this was like full pop she just was full pop it won grammy for record of the year it's also when kind of like snooty a-holes like me yes. started to kind of grudgingly like, acknowledge that mm. like oh this taylor swift girl she seems to like she can write a catchy song yeah right Respect but Knuckles always, for that. There were always had to be like big capital B butts. After I know. That. Oh, it was, it, was, it was horrible. It's yeah. like because girls loved Taylor Swift and anything girls like can't be real. Is can't be has, legit. Is easily made fun of. Mm -hmm. um, I will also say this was like my entry. I, I listened to a little bit of Red and I kind of liked it, but in eight, 1989 was when I first started being like, I I don't know if we called ourselves Swifties back then. I was like, yeah, I like Taylor Swift. Well, also it was it was when you had our first child, and yes. you had a lot of a lot of sitting in a chair holding a yeah, baby time. Downtime is not the right word for it. Um, I got a lot of podcast time, Pri and you got a lot of Taylor Pri Swift time. It was time. like prison yeah. time. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah. I would I would sit in the They're chair. They giving out time here like it's lunch. <laughs> I would sit in a chair with a baby asleep on my chest, and I would just like put my phone on the arm of the chair and listen to 1989 yeah. and um yeah but i wasn't like a diehard swifty like i wasn't it wasn't like it was oh, a slow process every, yeah um and the reason we're talking about it now for the non-swifties of the audience is that yes so taylor had a dis a business dispute 
with uh, the business entities that own the masters to her older records. Yeah. And so she has been embarking on a project of re-recording all of her older albums so that she, I assume she already owns the songwriting rights, or yes. at least those those that she does own for the songwriting that she did, um, which of course is most of it, but not all of it. Um, but she also owns, she, she, now she owns the masters to the recordings as well. Yeah. She's basically devaluing the originals by mm, flooding the market. Yeah. Yes. And famously, when she said she was going to do this, the owner of her masters, it was like a private equity firm and, you know, evil former people she worked with and they were like she'll never do it don't worry your investment is secure and she was like mm, watch mm-hmm. me and it has seriously deep there are um, some of the major radio radio stations including internet radio have vowed to only play the taylor's versions i mean diehard swifties obviously will go in and change all their playlists so it's only the taylor's versions probably the big ticket item here is that it opens these songs up for licensing yeah, she in films and commercials she and didn't such. license anything of the old stuff um and now she will license the taylor's version yeah um so you're that's why you're seeing it appear in like movies right. and tv show and commercials and so basically, like Taylor Swift, among other things, is a savage when it comes she's, to yes. matters of business. She's a business genius. and yeah. um, Which is why she, did you hear she, in the estimation of some publication, she's she, a billionaire she crossed the billionaire mark yes. this week? Yeah. Yes. Um, and obviously that's not a billion in cash dollars. That's a billion in her like yeah, yeah. owning of the of these masters, owning of her real estate holdings yes. and all of that stuff. So Indeed. Congratulations to Taylor on being a billionaire. Now get we all know that, giving it away. <laughs> that that's uh, that's what exactly that's right. We all know that that's the true measure of success in life. And we all know how fondly we all think of billionaires. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, I, and it and it's sort of to me. My story with Taylor begins with 89 in part because of all the reasons discussed, but also because it's one as I, as I have tried to kind of critically examine my own relationship to, to Tay Tay and how it started off as that kind of, you know, ignorant, arrogant sneering that a guy Mm -hmm. like me would be expected to do early in the Taylor phenomenon. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Then I went to the grudging acceptance. Then oh, yeah, yeah, she knows what she's doing in terms of like you know commercial success or whatever, not you know artistic success <laughs> like the kind you know I pursue. Uh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I know, uh-huh. I know, I know. It's so bad <laughs> when you look at it in the light of day. Like the re- you know, it's so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you came round. You came round. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, to, um, you know, appreciating a lot, you know, I'm, I'm subjected to the music all the time. Because, I, let, let me be clear. I am a, the kind of controlled freak that must always drive the car. Uh-huh. So, and Adam is always the passenger. I also get car sick. And I do too. Not that anyone cares. <laughs> no. Um, and as the driver of the car, I'm in charge of the radio. Yeah. And so Adam must often listen to what I choose, which M- must often. <laughs> sometimes we come to an agreement. Usually what happens is you say, please, I don't want to listen to this anymore. Please don't make me listen to it again. (laughs) And then I'll be like, fine, what do you want to listen to? And then you'll put on like R.E.M.'s most obscure album. (laughs) Which is fine. Which is fine. Anywho, so 
there are songs, there are individual songs and individual like passages or sections or lines that I do sincerely like, you know, mm-hmm. um, then there's much more of it that I like. I, I respect, mm-hmm, but it's um, not for, for you. its artistry. It's just not for me, right? Right. Um, but furthermore, but I, you know, my in- my interest in Taylor, mm-hmm. I feel like is is bigger than it should be for an artist whose music doesn't really speak to me, isn't for me, mm-hmm. right? Um, like I'm more interested in her than I'm more interested in. Other, you know, beautiful girl singers who, okay. women, grown ass women. That's the other yes. thing. I mean, it's like. She's 33 or 34. Well, I mean, I, you know, and I, can, and I can acknowledge that part of the reason my interest in her has grown is that it's like, I don't like. She I don't like girls. Mature, yeah. I like women. And like, she, her, her new phase of kind of womanly p- power mm. is very appealing, I think. Okay. You know, in a, in a way that your present phase of womanly power is quite appealing to me. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. All right. I'm not making a joke. You know, that's real, right? Yes, I do. Okay. I do. Thank you. So. <laughs> <laughs> huh. She's blushing. Getting hot in here. Oh, my God. So, so. What the hell were we talking about? Well, okay. Get us so back. I, I'm going to start the first comments argument. The first time that people in the comments are going to start like typing and being like, no, you're wrong. I think that Taylor has reached the point of probably most popular pop star of all time. Like the only people I think who could compete and this is not an endorsement of this person, but like Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah, sure. But even like if you look at the level of and it's also, I mean, you do have to calibrate for the level of population growth and population growth yeah. and also just like media saturation because there was just so much fewer media back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you, I mean, Taylor is everywhere. And I just, yeah, you know, the, the tours and the concert film and the, right. and the social media. And I think this yeah. is why I, I am particular, yeah. one of the reasons why I am interest, more interested in her than my interest in her music would indicate. And that is that I am just amazed to see like a level of human performance mm-hmm. at that height. Yes. Like every, if you consider it's the, a level the full of excellence that is and every shocking. terms of everything she does. Yes, it is a level of excellence that is almost unprecedented. Yeah. Like and I that's that's incredible. That's yeah. that that is how of course that would have to get your attention. And I always, I always feel ridiculous when I say this cuz it's almost like a truism, but I I have this particular interest in Things that are successful things that manage to be successful at the nexus of both artistic and commercial success. Okay. Things that manage to be really, really good kind of any way you look at them. So it's not like somebody sat in a lab and designed something to become very successful. She created art. So so for example, like the Barbie movie, which we talked about recently, Mm -hmm. Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie is something that I think is like at this nexus of both commercial and artistic success. Yeah. Um, and, And music, an example in my mind would be peter gabriel's so album Mm -hmm. um an album of like enormous artistic merit um really sophisticated esoteric stuff like he had been doing for a while 
and also like one of the gritty, biggest pop albums of the 80s, the yeah. biggest al- biggest decade for pop albums. Is that albums. the album that has... Um, Sledgehammer and all the ones you know. Yeah, Salisbury yeah. Hill. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Salisbury so, so an older one, okay. no. So uh, is Sledgehammer and Don't Give Up and okay. um, uh, Big Time, Got it. Red Rain, yeah. um, uh, In Your Eyes. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm there. No, now you're there. <laughs> I mean, I knew I knew those oh. other songs, but like, whew. in your eyes, there. You, okay, yeah, yeah, right. And and this '89 album, I remember when it came out, thinking, "Wow, this might be one of those." Um, starting with the opening track, "Welcome to New York," which is so trite in some ways, but mm-hmm. as is so often the case with Taylor, if you just get over yourself for two <laughs> seconds. Yeah, if you, the the initial critique of that song, I think that that lazy hipsters do because the the chorus is welcome to New York, it's been waiting for you and it's like no it fucking hasn't. New York is not like that. But But in but in fact, it actually has been in many ways for generations of people and and it has been the place. I mean, it's the cliche of like you you pack up your car or you pack up your bags and you move to New York with a dream. And I grew up five yeah. and a half hours away from New York City, so I don't know if it was like this for you. But basically, I grew up far enough away from New York City to where it was this like purely theoretical, magical fairyland of perfectness where we would all be accepted. And you know, okay, right? I'll I'll see you that and raise you one further. Yeah, I grew up in Tennessee oh, in yeah. the conservative South, yeah, yeah. where the, all the time I was like, God, if I could just get myself to new york there you go or you know the northeast and think of all of the kids in your high school who were even more different than you were yeah Yeah. who like wanted to Um, get the fuck out of there and if i you know if i go to new york all of these possibilities that are not possibilities for me here could be possibilities for me right right right. so instead i went to indiana (laughs) indeed (laughs) it worked out that's okay all the new york kids went to indiana so (laughs) that's right all those douche bros i got to new york i got to new york eventually you did um i a lot of my friends got to New York because it was close enough that like most of us who it it wasn't super hard to reach the escape velocity necessary to get yourself to New York from state college, Pennsylvania. And there were like a lot of, you know, misfits and punk rockers and queer people and stuff who all wanted to get there. Yeah. You guys Um, being close enough could get there and know people there. Whereas mm -hmm. for like, you know, growing up in Tennessee, it was like, you know, yeah, yeah, it was like, it really was a risk of either you had to get into college there, which that was my original plan was to go to college there. But then I I couldn't bring myself to spend the money. (laughs) So if you're going to, if you're going to move to New York, you need good people. You need to partner with uh, the right kind of person, such as when you're hiring for your business, you didn't even know what's happened. I thought you were looking up Taylor Swift lyrics. It was half, I was halfway through the transition. (laughs) Before I got you. Well done, sir. And so, like, that's not a full got you. That's like a half got you. But I got you. And if you need to get somebody who has a lot of talent and can help you in your business the way that I try to help Lauren in her business in this room, where I am officially your employee, I believe. Technic- <laughs> according to the Articles of Corporation. Indeed, exactly. You work that's for right. me. <laughs> uh, that's right. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, I'm not saying that it's going to work out as well for you as it has for us, um, but it could work out really well for you with Indeed because Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, hire, 
all in one place. You don't want to be spending hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates for your, your position with the right skills when Indeed's powerful hiring platform can help you do it all, all in the same place. They streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, that's Indeed's uh, one of Indeed's most exciting features, Instant Match. With that, over 80% of employers get quality candidates, people whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed's uh, U.S. data. And even better, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. This is where everybody is. Something like 80% of U.S. online job seekers are looking for uh, jobs on Indeed every month. This is the one place you need to be, and you only pay for those matches that have those your must-have requirements. So start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash Ragusia. That offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit right now at indeed.com slash Ragusia. Indeed.com slash Ragusia. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> and uh, we need to talk about uh, how Indeed... Uh, oh, dear. Sorry. Uh, it has been idealized, but for, and, and I know like a lot of my friends from school hmm. who went to New York got chewed up and spit right back again, you know, yeah. just, you know, spit right back Interstate 80, like so much loogie, right? Down <laughs> a straw. Okay. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of people, and especially for like queer friends mm -hmm. and people who were just different in some really profound way, you know, more than... I felt different and I felt really yeah. different from other kids, you know, related to that um, first Taylor Swift reference to, uh, she says some boys and boys and boys girls and boys and girls. and girls and girls. You can love who you want and, in New York. And then yeah. it's like, it is the tiniest toe dipped in the, the, the pond of allyship, but like, it seems she very, got it she seems, got grilled about it. It seems it, very timid in retrospect, but also especially remembering that she had come from Nashville. Yeah. Um, that was like, that was her first like political yeah. statement. Yeah. So well, good for her. everyone starts somewhere. You know, it's funny. This was the same time when, oh, who's the really handsome country singer who's an incredible guitar player and does the insurance advertisements with uh, Peyton Manning? Oh, um, Brad Paisley? Brad Paisley, yeah. Brad Paisley. Mm -hmm. So, like, good guy, Brad Paisley, right? I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember. This was, like, right around the same time. He had a song out called Welcome to the Future, Mm -hmm. That was like a, a minor, it was like a big country hit and a minor pop crossover hit. Okay. And it was a song about like kind of New York. It was like, it was basically about, it was like the, it was his version of the Welcome to New York song. It was kind of about like growing up mm -hmm. and it's, and it's not explicitly about people from the South the way that they are. Mm -hmm. And yes, Taylor is from Pennsylvania, but first of all, central Pennsylvania is the South. I thought she was from Virginia. She's originally from Pennsylvania. Oh, central right. Pennsylvania is the South, ladies and gentlemen. They call it Pennsylvania for a reason. <laughs> Secondly, she like, that's where she started. And then she like kind of came up around Nashville. Right. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Anyway, so like the subtext of those songs is that, yeah, these are people from the South and from Southern culture who have managed to, through the power of their careers and the power mm -hmm. of their talents, kind of break into a bigger, more cosmopolitan world and they feel liberated by that and they wanted to sort of celebrate that but also celebrate that 
but also kind of rather than kind of sneer back at everybody back home both of these songs kind of say hey come on it's great you know the water's water's great mm-hmm. come join us Everybody can be what they want to be. All kinds of people are here getting along and it's fine. Yeah. And and and, and it's a very it's a, it's a, it is a naive sentiment, no yeah. doubt. I'm no surprised doubt. you know that song and I don't. Oh, so, I'm so sorry. That's um this is back when I paid attention to things more than I do now. <laughs> but it's it's a naive sentiment, but like this is like Taylor's talent is taking something that like I feel any other songwriter of her caliber would dismiss as being trite. Mm-hmm. And she thinks, no, 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 no. This feeling I'm having right now of being a young woman who's, you know, living in New York for the first time and I'm really excited about it. Yes, I know this is a super basic feeling. But that means a lot of people are having well, it where she, or have fantasized where about she having sees, it. Where, where other people see basic, she sees universal. Yes. And so then, yeah, like the sneering hipsters are like, Pfft. but everyone else is like, I know this. I connect with this feeling. This feels real to me. Like how many people after this song came out, listened to it as they were heading into the city to move into the dorms at, you know, yeah. City College or... Um, NYU or Columbia or wherever, yeah, you know, and or moved there for their first job out of college, and yeah, yeah, you know, legit. Or or or, or if it wasn't New York, it was Chicago, or yeah. it was LA, LA or, yeah. or Atlanta, it, yeah, or is Atlanta or yeah. Houston or you know, or it was uh, you know, it was London, yeah, um, and. And all you have to do to do, to make a really to to, to to it's so I mean I think the reason the reason you dismiss cliches is not because they're bad or because they're used up it's because they're too hard. Interesting. It's because in order to pull off a cliche, you have to like stick the landing. Yeah, or just see it in a new in a new light. An yeah, yeah. Way. And and she took a cliche and she put a really catchy tune to it. Yeah, and and just said it in a new in a in a slightly new way, but in a more perfect way yeah. than anyone had said it before. I can't believe we've spent so and much time talking does. about "Welcome to New York," which is honestly like one of my least favorite know, songs on the album. And I'm not even I don't even think it's one of her most successful full songs yeah. like artistically um, right. I'm not even sure it even actually succeeds in the way that we're saying that it does I think yeah. it almost does for sure yeah but I also think that this is how she typically su- succeeds mm-hmm. is that because she is so damn good mm-hmm. at finding just the right line to yes. express a feeling that a lot of people have mm-hmm. she she can pull off the cliche right and People who think that she's not good, people who still to this day yeah. write think pieces in the National Review or whatever about how Taylor Swift's like cultural hegemony of the moment is an indication of cultural decline and blah, right. blah, blah. Like people are ask, old white men are still writing that think piece, yeah. okay, and getting paid per word. And they're wrong, wrong, right? wrong, to wrong, write that wrong. Piece because. <laughs> And they and and the thing that's ironic about it is that they just can't. These guys who fancy themselves such deep thinkers can't be bothered to actually listen to the song, right? And pay attention to why millions of people love it. It's not because it's trite. It's because it's universal yeah. and very good. Yes. That said, there's things about her as an artist that like kind of frustrate me. Sure. And like and, you know. 
but the way that I'm going to be like a better version of masculinity yeah. than I would have been in a prior generation right. is that I'm going to acknowledge that that's not a problem with her. Right. Yeah. Um, what she's doing is working. <laughs> like, I don't, if anybody was curious what working looks like, <laughs> it's like Taylor Swift's last nine months you know like yeah holy crap to think that she has been doing the eras tour all of that uh-huh and at the same time she has been doing this re-record project which yeah. we haven't even talked about the enormous work involved yeah. in re-recording an album as technically sophisticated yeah. as really any of her albums but, but this this one you especially and I have talked about how like her the the albums she's re-recorded up to this point have been more country so they have been more easy to reproduce yeah because you just people um, play yeah, instruments a mandolin is a mandolin is a mandolin like right. you just get it in front of a microphone that's you know but this was her most electronic like she did it with jack antonoff yeah of bleachers and fun. And, and as someone who has spent a lot of time mm-hmm. um, at, at, at august institutions in labs sponsored by people with fancy names, as a, someone who spent a lot of time making bleep blorpy sounds <laughs> in a computer, yeah. you know, and trying to find a new and interesting bleep or blorp, right? Yeah. Like the way that you get the most interesting bleeps and blorps is by just like, you just like fiddle fiddle yeah. and and the being able the the notion of being able to recreate that yeah. is ridiculous it's well it's, and especially when you consider oh hold on hello yes um what time is it um as soon as we're done with this year we're gonna have dinner yeah. and then you can have a cookie uh-huh. okay all okay. right okay. Yeah. all right we'll be done in a little bit okay all right anyway um, well, especially like when you consider that how much that this al- the original is nine years ago, yeah. the technology, the programs they're using, the computers are different. Indeed. Yeah. So the settings that they use to make the original 1989 might yeah. not even exist anymore. And it's the kind of thing where they can't, the legality of using individual samples and such mm-hmm. that a guy like Jack Antonoff might fabricate for the purposes of producing mm-hmm. a Taylor Swift track. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what the lawyers told them about yeah. what they could use. So um, yeah, they may have started fresh trying to recreate. They, and it does yeah. sound, a, and as a result, I think this is the album that sounds the most different of yeah. all of the re-records. Right. And there are hardcore Swift. Okay. From on a scale of one to 10, one being I like some Taylor songs and 10 being I decode all the Easter eggs professionally on the internet. Uh-huh. I'm probably like a four, four or five on yeah, the Swifty yeah. scale. But like, so oh, the, the, the scale just goes so high. The hardcore, there are hardcore Swifties who are like, it's different. I don't like it. Blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, her voice has changed in nine years. She's definitely like embracing the alto. It's, it's older. She always it's was rougher. an alto, right? Yeah, but she... I, I saw somebody on the internet, and I wish I could credit them for this, saying that, like, because this was her first pop record, and mm-hmm. because pop singers are often, like, main character sopranos, she was being much more, she was going higher, and while and, and, she... And, more, and, and also sort of going for these kind of self-consciously, I think, girlish, girlish yeah. tones, yeah. And I, well, I think she hits the high notes better now, but also when yeah. she goes into her low register, it's really resonant now. Mm, yeah. And I think it's nice. Womanly. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds different. I think there are people who are mad about that. Um, 
there are people who are mad if you say it sounds different. But these are, these are the kind of people who like. I don't know. Is one of my one of my videos recently? Somebody commented on how I looked a little older, and someone said, "Yeah, <laughs> time it's marches true. on, it, asshole." No, 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 someone said, "It's true. Our millennials are aging." <laughs> oh God! And then I said that to you, and you said, "Yeah, time marches on, asshole." <laughs> for whom the bell tolls? Yeah. There, but for the grace of God, people. <laughs> um, We're all. It's all happening at the exact same rate. Old is the goal. For, so, for all of us yeah um same night awaits us all motherfucker well so do you think are there any other of the original tracks you want to talk about or do you want okay here's what well i wanted to sort of talk about her her voice a little bit more okay i mean she's someone who one of the many reasons why she was unduly dismissed by the intelligentsia earlier on in mm-hmm. her reign is that she's not a great singer she's not and she would never call herself yeah. that. Like, well, and she even um, references that in uh, one of the songs off of "Speak Now." Mean, yes, about how like her. It's specifically about a critic who often wrote about how she couldn't sing. Couldn't sing yeah, exactly. And, uh, Which, by the way, that's the mean. That's the first song that I heard of hers where I was like, "Oh wow, that's that's a very good song." That's whoever. N- no, you know. you're thinking of mine. Is that the one uh, made her of bull of a careless man's careful daughter? No, no, no. no oh, no. mean. Yeah. The, yeah. Someday, I'll, Someday I'll be living in a big, big old no city, city like New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a song. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a classic. This is a stand- I was like, I heard that one. That's the one that's, yeah, I heard that. I was like, that's a, that's a, like a pop standard going forward yeah. instantly, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so, um, she, she's not a great singer, but the thing is that it's like when we talk about male, great male songwriters, mm-hmm. when do we ever demand that they be great singers? Mm-hmm. We only ever demand that they be competent singers. Yeah. And sometimes we let them get away with being <laughs> Leonard Cohen <laughs> and, and, and Bob Dylan, you know? Oh, God. Right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, like, and, and like, and the level of like, it's like, and Taylor, Taylor is only a, ba- a bad singer in the sense that if you compare her to someone like... Or like you know somebody um, you know, voicey, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, who, who's big? Who's big right now with a really great voice? Um, Ariana Grande, yeah. Or um, um, who, uh, the the Albanian alto. Um, um, what? Dua Lipa, Dua Lipa. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. right. Who isn't even a very acrobatic singer, but it just timbrely, wow, what a voice. Um, or like Katy Perry, timbrely, wow, what yeah. a voice, even if not the most acrobatic. And then there's also incredibly acrobatic singers. Like and Christina she's, Aguilera. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and, like, yeah. and she is none of those. But as, as singer-songwriters go, great yes. songwriters go, as great songwriters go, she's up there with like John Lennon and like and Paul McCartney. And mm-hmm. like, you know, her voice is that good. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, but when, when, when John Lennon would, would sing, you know, when, when, so basically when there was an incident when Taylor was on the, I think it was the Grammys or something mm-hmm. and she sang, um, the, uh, Stevie Nicks song, Rhiannon. Is that how you say that name? Yeah. And which has a really tricky vocal line in it that, mm-hmm. that, um, and she sang it 
she didn't do so well mm -hmm. because maybe she was like a child on live television right. in front of millions of people yeah. right and also that's a hard song to sing you mm -hmm. know as a lot of karaoke people have found out <laughs> yeah. you know um, that is a surprisingly hard song to sing yeah. you know and people made like mincemeat out of her and it's like when when John Lennon would sing flat it's like oh f the emotion yeah. the rawness he's so he's taken so, away by the melody yeah exactly that, he's you know yeah. he, well he's a musician from the street you know he, you know he's not schooled <laughs> right like you if you know john lennon can't read music right <laughs> exactly that's right <laughs> oh jesus christ so can we talk about the singles sure okay so if you hold your microphone a little bit like more, sorry sorry like, I, no, no, it's, there you go. it's getting, so, it's getting heavy. So, heavy. It's so heavy it's so heavy adam wanted to go handheld and i'm like these things weigh a lot okay um ooh, this is, is actually kind of nice is I that what it. taylor would say Taylor would use a lighter fucking microphone. She'd be like, you know what? This microphone is too heavy. Bring to me a lighter microphone. <laughs> I know. But I am not Taylor Swift, so I have to use like, this heavy ass microphone. Like an assistant on wings would descend. <laughs> yes. It <laughs> yes. would be like, madam, here is your... And she would say, thank you. I know. And, and, she then, would, and, she would and then give them a giant she, bonus. Yeah, and she would know exact... She would know their names. Yes. She would know the names of their kids. <laughs> because... Uh. Okay, so Human I perfection. I think Taylor has always been really terrible at picking singles, mm. um, as evidenced by the fact that the lead single off this. I don't know if "Welcome to New York" was the lead. It's the first one that I remember. But from, um, "Shake It Shake Off," "Shake It Off," yeah, which is a fine song. Fine. It's like it's a fun party song, but that that one is leans more towards the trite. Yes. Um, when you had when "Out of the Woods" was right fucking there mm. when wildest dreams was there when style was there like but honestly wildest or out of the woods should have been the single i think she picks i think she gets nervous and picks the song that sounds most fun and pleasing to the masses instead of the song that obviously everyone is going to be scream singing with well i think that maybe you don't give her enough credit but, in, in but knowing like, in in right like she writes when she writes when 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 someone like that writes a song like shake it off she knows exactly what she is doing and when she puts it as a single she knows exactly what she is doing and it had the exact desired right. effect and everyone's it like was this, a gigantic smash right and, every, classic, and it's a smash and all of that because people think it's permanent fun. at weddings and dances and anywhere gay people are for <laughs> but even then like if you she, Nobody wants no when, when yeah. they see Taylor Swift. Nobody wants to hear "Shake It Off." No, no, no. no nobody wants to hear nobody. her sing that. Please, no. that is at the bottom of the list. Let's of songs go. I let's go on TikTok you're, right now. You're incorrect. Look at videos from the stands where there's tween girls. No, I'm telling you, you are wrong about this. Wow, you are absolutely wrong. I accept it. They want to hear if if in the eras set uh, or for 1989. Okay, people are very mad that Out of the Woods is not part of that. Uh -huh. uh, people want to hear Wildest Dreams. People want to hear Style. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah. Even people don't really like Bad Blood, but I do. Um, anyway. Style, I, so I, <laughs> I took the kids out of the house the other day. Mm-hmm. As you often do, As don't I make often it sound do. like a, that was. But I did thing. it specifically this time because I needed to get away from Taylor Swift. So like we, <laughs> we bought this. You bought this record. Yes. At what's the, are the awesome local record store that you found? Lost and Found Records. Lost and Found Records in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Rad store. Yeah, it's a great, great um, record store. 
And so, you know, you, you noticed, is it on their social media? You saw them unboxing this and you were like, I'm going to go buy that. Yeah, they do a, a video on Instagram of their new arrivals. And it's just like they flip through everything, either the new stuff or also stuff they've bought from somebody that's yeah. interesting. And they showed the 1989 record. And I had been excited about this. So I obviously fired it up on Spotify. But like, that's not fun to celebrate a release day by just like, hitting yeah. a button on your phone. And I was like, you know what? I want to buy the thing. I want the object. Freaking textbook case of how you run a brick and mortar uh, media business yeah. today. You know, if you can do it and these guys are doing it, like yeah. it's by doing stuff like that. Yeah. And so um, I went and I bought the record and you, so you had, oh, you were taking the kid to violin and he was like, and as soon as you got in the car, he was like, can we listen to Taylor Swift? Yes. And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> Please know. But yeah, so I put it on. And I think, no, I mean, so especially with what we have one of them who is, we have one of them who is really being in the way he is developing is developing mm -hmm. in a very stereotypically boyish way. Mm -hmm. Right. In a way that like, you know, is, is just sort of remarkable. And it's mm -hmm. like, and it's, it's, it's sort of, I think speaks to because that's not he's not getting that from us you know it's like it's he's coming from somewhere powerful you know mm -hmm. and it's been interesting to watch and but anyway so when that one especially yeah. wants to listen to a female singer or watch the barbie you, movie or something yeah, like that, that i the, say yes the little one when i asked him what record he wanted to get he said twisted sister but he also which is pretty awesome i loved taking him into the record store and being like tell the man what you're looking for <laughs> do the voice do the voice I want Twisted Sister. <laughs> My proudest moment as a parent. Um, but he also wants to listen to Taylor Swift because yeah, yeah. he enjoys it. So that's why I grudgingly said, yes, I'll put down on 1989. They, he, he asked for 1989. Yeah. Taylor's version. So I put it on and I'm listening to it and it gets to Style. Mm-hmm. Which is a song that is about Harry Styles, yes. right? Um, well, there's some debate, but okay. probably about probably, Harry Styles. right. Um, and I, I've never liked that song. Ugh. You, you, you don't like it because she calls herself pretty in it. So I've you, got that red. Kind of. Sick thing that you like. Anyway. So here, here's the reason. I've actually interrogated my feelings on this. And mm -hmm. I think it's actually a little bit different than what you would expect. Because okay. it was different than what I expected. But okay. I actually think this is true. Okay, let's hear it. I find that song to be exclusionary of non-gorgeous people. Oh, jeez. Maybe, and, maybe and that's why no, I like it. That's why he's like, you love it, and I, and I, as a not as a mere mortal, <laughs> I, I like this song that's just about there two, is, there is two <laughs> really hot people celebrating how unbelievably yes. hot they are. There together. is someone in the comments right now, unironically typing, "Lauren's not hot." And you know what? To that double person, deuces I to say, you, sir. Get fucked. <laughs> I like you myself. Can't, so we know. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, uh, I love the imagery of it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's fun. Well, what caught my attention this time, mm -hmm. and, I, and I, that's like a dumb hang up for that's right. a dumb reason for me to not like yeah, that song, sure. right? That's not a problem. That's not a problem with the song. That's not a Taylor problem. That's an mm -hmm. Adam problem. Okay. Yeah. But what caught my attention when I was listening to the re-record was the verse mm -hmm. has got um, the feel, you know, it's, it's a, it's very much like a full live band mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and it's got this like great 70s feel to it oh yeah that is just wind in your hair and it feels like driving um, your camaro and with it your feels like, aviators it feels on. like boys of summer Oh hells yeah! It, it really sounds does. Like Boys of Summer. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it. It, no, it feels, feels like, like it. it. Feels like it. it feels yeah. like Boys. Which the is the same. I love the boys same of windbreaker and sunglasses would yeah. be applied to either song. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And and her and so anyway so and I, I think I remembered that I always liked that verse and mm-hmm. that groove and I'm ashamed that I first noticed it when what's his name hipster McCountry abuser covered it. Um, oh, Ryan Adams. Ryan Adams, yeah. For reasons I know, that pass understanding, but I remember he was on the entirety. Of he was on like a late night television show that was on in the background, and he played style. Yeah, and I remember, th- whoa, that verse is that yeah. groove is hot. Like, yeah. and but he didn't do anything new to it. It's he just played it as 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 yeah. written, you know. Um, but anyway, and I heard that now with her older womanly voice. Yeah, and she's like putting a little like almost kind of stereotypically kind of male 60s 70s soul singer kind of sex on that Mm -hmm. performance and that got my attention madam (laughs) Madam, that got my attention i will admit to you he to the point where he texted me and said i think i like style now (laughs) and i said welcome to the circus we're all clowns here should we talk about the vault tracks? Sure. Okay, so for anyone who's unversed, how could you be? But all the re-records come with what are called vault tracks, which are songs that she wrote to some degree or another at the time of the recording of the original album. Maybe but sketched out bits yeah, and pieces. Yeah, some of them maybe you got further than others, but for whatever reason, they did not make the album. And yeah. so she has produced them to completion, obviously, as part of the re-records. This one has one, two, three, four, five fault tracks. If you get the deluxe version, it also has an extra version of Bad Blood with Kendrick Lamar on it, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, so, do you, do you have any interest in any of the vault tracks? I mean, uh, the most famous of all the vault tracks is obviously the- Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Wrong. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Wrong. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. That's not a vault track. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. No, wrong. That's, that is a bonus track on Midnight's, bonus. which I'm is so not a, a re-record. Track. Okay. So it doesn't count. It's just noteworthy because it's like maybe her best song yeah. ever. And the, notice, the, the notion that it was a bonus track is kind of, is just yes. an interesting thing. But the most famous of all vault tracks is obviously the 10 minute version of All Too Well. Oh, Right. That she performs at the Eras tour. This is the song about John Mayer? Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal, yes. Yes. Okay. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Um, I believe the supposition is that all of these vault tracks are about Harry Styles, which is especially um, interesting for the last one, Is It Over Now, where she calls him a heartless traitor, I think. Dang. And, And... Had a microphone in front of your face. Please. Is it? it yeah, just, just a little. No, no, here. Oh. Try to get it more in front of your face. I yeah. thought you didn't. You wanted no, over no, here no, so no, they no. could see my face. No, no, no. Well, I, I, I do want them to see your face, but this is an audio program. <laughs> sorry, okay. I'm sorry. This is why handheld is bad. My hand hurts, and I'm not even holding it correctly. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've listened to enough of the vault yeah. tracks to have opinions on them. I, I would like. I have thoughts on 
her vault tracks in general. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, they they are in general pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, now that is in part because, I mean, I, I maybe it, it's a self-protection mechanism for me to believe that it's a more mature, skilled adult version of her that's really sprucing up and finishing these songs and not that the younger version of her was really so genius as to write a song like that and then to leave it on the cutting room floor as a self-protection mechanism. I like to believe yeah, that you're it's... wrong. Oh, shit. Well, because it's interesting because the, the chatter online amongst people who don't like the vault tracks are like, oh, they don't sound like 1989. They sound like Midnight's. And I'm like, well, yeah, she finished them as an adult. Right, yeah, yeah, sure. And you and I were talking about how they're like, they're relics of her younger self, but with her ad- adult present self authorial voice. Voice, yeah. And I th- I just think that must be kind of a, a mind fuck. I mean, mm-hmm. I... I I am not, I know you are not strong enough to go into your personal archives and journals or whatever and pull out stuff you wrote 20 years ago and be like, hmm, this is good. Let's share it with the world. I don't even want to look at my old journals, Mm. much less publish them. So, yeah. It's, that's, that's pretty daring. And that shows a very strong sense of self. Yes, it does. And it, and forgive me for bringing it back to this, but maybe this is a good place to sort of like wrap it up. Sure. Because it's, I think it's, it's how I engage with Taylor and it's how I imagine these seven people who are still listening, <laughs> most of them probably engage with Taylor because my audience is overwhelmingly young and male. And because they're like mine, they're probably like a bunch of know-it-alls, right? Well, hopefully we have convinced them to go sit down yes. with their internet machine. Indeed. And listen to some tracks. So one reason why, like, you know, a-holes like us boys, <laughs> one reason why a lot of us still tend to dismiss Taylor Swift is that they'll say, like, oh, well, she, she's not, like, a sole proprietor. Um, there's a lot of, sort of, in dude music, there's a lot of um, stock put in the value of an artist being like a like like Dave Grohl doing it entirely like himself a one man in band. his basement, yeah, right. Recording all the tracks. Well, and, I, you that's know, the, the thing the songs, that John Mayer does ideal. now and talks yeah. about, like going off into the studio by himself, by himself, and blah yeah. blah 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 blah. And I, you know, I say this as, by the way, like someone who does not collaborate, does not collaborate. <laughs> and by the way, like you know, and anyone, you know, like this, this reason I'm not a famous musician. I had game. Okay, I have some game left. Yes. I'm someone who can walk into like a studio and like lay down all the tracks and like, mm. you know, produce a song that's like, okay. Mm. Um, and, and I'm over that as being a thing that we value. Right. And also like think of all of the like male auteurs, male musical auteurs who we just revere as gods who collaborated with session musicians and producers and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Everyone from, you know, people who w- really were auteurs like mm-hmm. Brian Wilson, who would go in there and really be be the, the director of the film, you know, mm-hmm. but still, you know, he w- didn't play a single right. note on, 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 on Pet Sounds. Yeah. He sang, but he didn't play a note, yeah. you know? Um, 
uh, all the way to, you know... The Beatles were co- collaborating with all kinds of people exactly, at the end. Exactly, all kinds of great... You know, to say nothing of George Martin. Sure, or, or uh, you know, uh, just to make it circular, we were talking about Boys of Summer. Yeah, So Don Henley. Don Henley, a song that, you know, that's a song that was written... The entire music for that song was written by Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers, mm-hmm. offered to Tom Petty, who... For some reason, maybe he got stabbed in the ear that day, <laughs> turned no it down, yeah. and was just like, and then like, you know, Don Henley heard it and was like, okay, well, the, that's that's going to be a hit if if I can do my job right today, and he did. Yeah. And he, his contributions to that song should not be minimized. Don Henley wrote the melody and the words and, hmm. re, you know, and sang it in that, bel- that belty, ten- high tenor, yeah. 70s tenor, Jesus. Hmm. He, he showed up to work that day. Yeah. He did, okay? But like... He had a lot of help on that, okay? Mm-hmm. And no one like doesn't, you know, one questions Don Henley being like a real musician. I would also stipulate, and you and I have talked about this. I like John Mayer. You don't. True. But you have argued that you would like John Mayer more if he collaborated and had people editing him. <laughs> yeah. So. Hold on a second. I'm just checking the time. Oh, we're good. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, truth. So uh, I think there's plenty of musicians out there who, had they collaborated, their work could have been even better. Right, right. So she's someone who like has she's she she could absolutely run in there and just mm-hmm. track the whole thing herself. Okay, mm-hmm. she could. She chooses not to because that's not a good use of her time. Mm-hmm. She can. She's much better off being a pop star, you know, mm-hmm. in her spare time yeah. and letting Jack Antonoff like fiddle with the computer, you mm-hmm. know. Um, who wants to see Jack Antonoff, like, you know, at a football game, right? <laughs> um, love you, Jack. But like, you know, I feel like I feel like you'd agree with me, you know. Well, I think you're, <laughs> you're discounting the amount of time she spends in the studio working no, 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 on no, no, songs no, 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 with him. No and, doubt. Yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. She's okay. a studio rat, too. No doubt. Okay. But I also think I can't imagine that she is has been there for every minute of the production necessary of reassembling these albums Mm -hmm. while she's been also doing the airs tour there has to be she has to be delegating Mm -hmm. and this is not someone who does that out of weakness Mm -hmm. this is someone who does that because she's a strong manager right and she chooses and she like collaborate she chooses good employees Mm -hmm. and like you know everything she does she does correctly so there's that thing that i think is one reason why i think idiots Idiot boys like us discount her and we shouldn't. Here's one where I kind of feel like maybe us idiot asshole arrogant boys have not a point, but a function, a legitimate function. All right, let's hear it. It's like it's like when there's like animals in an ecosystem and you're just like, oh, God. Fuck mosquitoes. Like, they just fuck them. But you know what? Bats are hungry, okay? <laughs> and so mosquitoes have to exist, right? So there's, like, a thing that, like, the the asshole smarty pants dude... Okay. Reg- you know, risible a character as he may be. As much as we'd love to exterminate him... Noted. He, he may Let's have a the function... Let's hear the Okay, so I think that... I feel like Taylor Swift... Uh-huh actually has stalled a bit artistically. Um, I think that someone of her ability, I think if, let me put it this way, I think a male artist of her ability would have felt the social pressure to be more 
musically and intellectually adventurous and ambitious than she has than she has been. Are you ready for me to tell you why I think that you're wrong? Yeah. Okay. So the common knock on Taylor Swift for years was she just dates guys and then writes songs about them. She writes whiny songs about them. She writes tea spilling songs about her. It's all just about the guys, right? Yeah. Fine. Bullshit. Um, that true. was that was, you know. And even if it was true, yeah. like how many. Anyway, All, every yes. Leonard Cohen song is about a girl. Yes. Jesus. Um, and then, you know, then she wrote Reputation, which was about all of that and then everyone was like well she's just complaining and we don't like the new style anyway then she did lover which was very pop and then the pandemic happened and she was locked in her house as we all were and she produced what i think are the two best taylor swift albums folklore and evermore mostly because i am a folky and they speak to me i love Acoustic shit. Um, But those are songs where I think she really went in new directions with her songwriting. She Mm -hmm. did a bunch of story songs, which were new for her. She did a bunch of interconnect where she like created characters and then wrote songs from their different perspectives. She wrote a song based on history. I think she wrote um, Epiphany, which I think blends like history and the modern in a way that is so emotional. I still can't listen to that song without crying. I think she, and you know, she has really reinvented herself in different ways. Then Midnight's came along and she kind of latched on to sort of the Kate Bush nostalgia, I think, and did a lot of that sort of, 80s interesting things. Do you think that maybe she, because Kate Bush is sort of an early example of a female artist who was kind of like, you know, a beautiful pop star who danced around and looked beautiful in her videos, but also fully produced her own songs with her own keyboards in her mm-hmm. own studio, you know, and was her studio rat, you know, yeah. made all of her stuff herself soup to nuts. And was she, Sort of trying to try to no, I think get she, everyone to see her as the Kate Bush that she is. No, I mean she's honestly far more talented. I than think Kate she's Bush. just very good at trying new things and and reinventing herself. And you know, Madonna reinvented herself in ways that were really visually dramatic. And I think Taylor just keeps kind of putting new things on her plate. And so she's always eating some of the same things, but she's trying new foods at the same time. I, no doubt the artistic growth that you describe over the course of those albums it happened 100%. Yeah. And I like it. And there's lots of songs there that I really like. And a song like Snow on the Beach on Midnight's is mm-hmm. a song where she actually pushed herself into some new musical territory using some interesting chords mm-hmm. that are not so stock. Yeah, this is where um, I wish we could play stuff because I would love to hear you explain the chords. Yeah, well, that's that's but, go, go watch Rick. Rick Beato, you know, hey Rick, I'm going to text you after this. Uh, you should do uh, a why the song is great about snow on the beach. Uh, cool harmonies in that one. Anywho, um, so one of the things that like a guy like Rick talks a lot about, and an asshole like me thinks a lot about, mm-hmm. smarmily to myself as I listen to the radio, um, is how. You know, music has in many ways gotten more complex in this era, but in several dimensions, it has actually gotten much simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest one being harmonically, the chords. Mm-hmm. Like even sort of pop songs, top 40 pop songs just a couple of decades ago just used to have a much broader harmonic vocabulary. And 
And I think, and, and Rick just bemoans this all mm-hmm. the time, and I think one thing that I would love that I have said to you, Rick, privately, and maybe we'll have this out, debate out publicly one day, is that, like, you know, I think that's sort of a, a, a falsely declinist attitude. I think that part of what's happened is that just great songwriters, people who are very good at writing songs that lots and lots of people will like, have simply learned Mm-hmm. through experimentation and empiricism and all of that, that there are certain chord progressions that work. Mm-hmm. Like the axis progression, which Google that one, if you, you know, it's that, that's the one that's uh, with or without you and 80 million other songs you've heard is the same damn, you know, there are certain, it's, it's, it's um, Max Martin, that, that producer in Sweden, you know, right. 80 million songs that you know and love. He, t- he calls it sort of melodic math or he's yeah. like, he's worked out sort of basically very simple little algorithms for, you know, these are, these are the chord progressions that make hits. Yeah. And I think to a great extent, tailored at least on some level, probably on every level, just knows that, right? On the other hand, I feel that someone of her ability should be writing songs where the chords don't always change on the one. So, you know what I think? Every single time, the chord just changes on the one, lasts a whole bar, and you're going to have four changes like that. And it's just like, someone of her ability should just, should feel it would, I, I, I as a listener would like it if she felt more pressure to explore m- 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 more difficult territory, both both musically and to a certain extent lyrically too. I, I think, I think, I, I mean, or I think maybe, I think topically maybe. Okay. Because I, I, I think as as a lyricist, you can't. She's unimpeachable. Like she, she what she does, she does perfectly. Yeah. I think what's interesting and. So the songs that you have listened to that you think are more interesting of hers, yeah, I think a lot of them are the ones that are with Aaron Dessner of The National, uh, who his music is more like that. And also some of the songs were orchestrated by his brother, uh, who is a classical oh, dude. Oh, d- doing all the string stuff. Yeah, oh, Bryce yeah. Dessner. And so cool. yeah. again, she, I think it's one of those things where she's like, I'm going to bring in these other people who do that well. Right, yeah. And, and, and he he also produced Coulda Woulda Shoulda I think that's the title uh, Woulda Coulda some yeah, permutation there which is the one of the bonus tracks on Midnight yeah. and I mean he's even said when he performed it with her at the Aerosaur I think this is the best song we've ever done and um, that's a song that like has many phases and builds in interesting ways it's not just like verse chorus verse chorus bridge it's got like multiple like it's got a beginning chorus I don't know what you call that multiple choruses uh, pre-chorus. Pre-chorus. Yeah. yeah, it's got the pre-chorus of the chorus. It's got like... A very lengthy bridge. Yeah, that has multiple phases to it. That, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not saying it's prog rock, but I'm saying it sort of no, no, has no, no. the shape of prog rock. No, no, no. It's, well, <laughs> it's progressive in the sense that it uses structure to create forward momentum in the song. Yeah. Which is what a lot of bad or mediocre pop songs struggle with, mm-hmm. where they sound circular, mm-hmm. where it's just kind of like, oh, the verse to the chorus, and then I've heard the whole song. It's mm-hmm. just going to like loop, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like a song like Coulda, Woulda, Whatever yeah. uses sections to create an overall forward momentum, an overall arc to the song that keeps you listening as you go through the whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. It is a little bit more what you might they might call through composed in the classical music world, where instead of writing a loop, you're writing a line, you know, a mm-hmm. thing that go, a, 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 you know, something that meanders and trails around and goes somewhere instead of marching around in a circle, you know. Um, but so I guess on the one hand, there I'm embarrassed that like I am on some level proud of myself to be such a feminist that I can see the genius in Taylor Swift, right? I know that on some level- Yes, you've got your cookies. It's self-congratulatory for me to even have this conversation, right? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of nauseating, right? Um, So on one level, I know that's what's going on here. And so therefore I am injured when you tell me that this thing that I thought I liked that was Taylor's might've been by some fucking hipster dude. Like he, that was his contribution is what's like really speaking to this other hipster dude. No, because she wrote that song. Of course she did. And so here's this one. But like I came up with a counter argument to my own argument. Okay, let's hear it. And I feel like this is maybe like a good thing to end on, right? Sure. Okay. Because like you want to talk about like male songwriters who are worshipped by other men, okay, by smart men, Mm -hmm. white men who fancy themselves the smartest men of all, worship this fucking songwriter, okay, as being the best of the best, right? Talking about Paul Simon, okay? Right. Now, now you and I both love Paul Simon. We love, like, Paul Simon is a deeply meaningful artist to both of us. Yes. Okay. We both hate him in many ways. Right? We think he is in many ways an objectionable human. Yeah. But a genius. And an objectionable songwriter. artist. In many, there's lots of yeah. things about his oh, art. That all that I rhythm did. of the saint stuff. Ooh. My favorite album. But but there's but, lots of things I hate about it. Yeah. But anyways, you know. Um, anyways, okay. So this is not a knock on Paul Simon. Okay. Mm. Paul Simon is like someone who dudes like me would sort of describe under the kind of auteur theory of musicians, right? Yeah. Okay. That's a man who's in control, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk about a guy who relied on his collaborators. Yes. Okay. <laughs> And okay. the reason you don't think of his collaborators is one of the reasons why he's an objectionable human. human. Okay, so the, <laughs> so the most obvious example of this is the um, um, the Graceland incident, where Paul took a trip to South Africa because he heard some South African music and was understandably excited by it because it was was amazing, <laughs> and he like you know invited a bunch of just like all you had some fixer in South Africa get like a all, murderer's row you know, of musicians all, a murderer's row all of the hottest players in Johannesburg or whatever like in the mm-hmm. same studio and Paul and they just you know Paul said hey let's jam and which is like code for you play your best you licks. play your best licks <laughs> and I will record you as though I am an as though I am an ethnomusicologist pointing a microphone at a primitive tribe. Except really what I am is every guy in the 1950s and 60s who went down to the Delta and fucking stole all the blues musicians. (laughs) As though I am, uh, as though I am Messian um, uh, uh, transcribing bird song. Yeah. Right. I will record these bits and then I, a civilized man will take it back to the civilized world and I will cut and paste these loops of tape and turn them into songs. Let me just say, at least the racists who went down to the Delta and conned those people into signing bad contracts paid them five dollars. Uh, Paul yeah, Simon yeah. originally paid those guys nothing. Well, no, I'm sure they got paid to show up on the day, right? I'm sure they got paid a day rate. 
but they didn't get songwriting credit, which is publishing royalties, right? Um, which is the ongoing money. That's you know, that's that's really that's the real money. So, anyways, yes, when you know, whatever, it's kind of objectionable. But the fact of the matter is, Graceland is still one of the best albums of all time, like mm -hmm. in part because of the contributions of these genius fucking South African musicians. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but also because of the genius of Paul Simon, everyone involved was a genius and that is a genius album, right? Mm -hmm. It is a great, great record. But of mm -hmm. course, what is tremendously objectionable about it is that when it came out, it said music and lyrics by Paul Simon. <laughs> Period. <laughs> End of sentence. End of sentence. And now, that, my friends, is what we call a lie. That's what we call, <laughs> you know, when, if you think erasure isn't a real thing, tell me, tell me, like, tell me how that's not erasure. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and now, luckily, there was an uproar and whatever. I don't know how, how it happened, but they ended up getting all of those musicians ended up getting mm -hmm. their songwriting credits. Yeah. Um, and therefore their ongoing royalties, which for a song like, you know, Call Me Al or whatever has yeah. got to be a, a lot of money, especially in South Africa. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so so that's objectionable. That's an example of, of possibly working with collaborators, but also just like things like, you know, um, all of the just top flight jazz guys that he worked with in the 70s mm -hmm. on all on, you know, for my, my favorite Paul Simon album, which is Hearts and Bones, um, which is like in many ways, what? I'll just never forget the very first time you ever played guitar for me. Aww. You sat down. We had, we had been dating for like a minute. Yeah. And you played Hearts and Bones, which is a song about divorce. <laughs> I know, but it, it's, it was the but most a, it was the most impressive acoustic guitar song. It, it I could was play. very impressive. You did not. Matchbox 20 me, a la Ken. <laughs> I was genuinely impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's like his least successful album. It's like, you know, but it's my favorite. But just, he was just working with top flight jazz guys, right? Mm -hmm. Who like the brought so much, a lot of what, you know, who really should have gotten composition credit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they ended up just getting player credit. And that's yeah. really a shame. But like nobody questions whether or not Paul Simon is an auteur, okay? And and I'm not questioning. I do think he's the master because I think one of the many things he does well is recognize talent. Mm -hmm. Get it in the room with him. Be a casting director and be like, oh, you know, that drummer with that bass player, that would be something really special. Mm -hmm. Like, she does that. And then what's also amazing, okay, like okay, and she like and she does that on a Paul Simon level on a music with her music, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, how well does Paul Simon dance? Okay? <laughs> how hot does well, Paul Simon look in his sparkly gowns? I will tell you there's okay? quite, there's there's a long going knock about how Taylor Swift is not a good dancer. She has improved significantly. But, <laughs> it, a, but she, if she's she, much better than if she was a male artist. I will tell you, Paul Simon could not perform the Eras tour. <laughs> okay, and I'm sorry if she was a male artist, no one would doubt. They'd be like, "Oh my!" If she, especially if it was like, if she was a dude in a really mass, a really masculine coded dude, if she was like a rapper, like a really masculine coded rapper who could dance that well. That that they would be like, oh, you're a genius, and you're so bold with your gender performance. Yeah, you know, no. The 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 only reason. Yeah. And now I'm Sorry. thinking about Paul Simon performing the Eras tour, and it's so, oh, it's so like da da. It is bad. You know, I don't like AI. 
But I would like to but see uh, if someone wanted to do Paul Simon doing vigilante shit. <laughs> yeah, like and contemporary, like bald Paul Simon, you know. Oh dear, with it, he has a facelift. With I his think. facelift, yeah. Ooh, how? It's such as it's. I'm only doing this to balance the scales for all of the years that female artists have been critiqued for their appearance. But it's just like Paul Simon. Just age. You're just you're you're waking up across the breakfast table from Edie Brickell every morning. This woman who is aging like the finest cheese <laughs> at the shop. Okay? Uh-huh. Like because she's just doing nothing. She's just getting up and then she's doing yoga and she's just yeah. And singing, and, and she like, likes you the way you are. Yeah. So and, and just, she like she's like look at how she's aging. A and B, she likes you the way you are. So just age, dude. Just yeah. age. <laughs> I don't know how we land this plane now that we've talked about Al or Paul Simon's facelift. <laughs> you know what? This is this is how this this episode. This is how we see who, how who our real friends are. Yeah. Yeah. If you comment the secret, if if anyone comments about um, Paul Simon performing the Eras tour, we know. Oh, did it die? Oh, oh, ran out of battery. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. So that's that's telling us that we should wrap up this okay. uh, episode. That's okay because the the audio is still running, so okay, we so, can still land the plane. Okay. Yeah. So on the video, then will you just have a blank? Screen? Yeah, it's, it's gonna be, it's black right now. They're okay. looking at black screen. Wow. Now now we'll really know who's still here. Oh oh don't who, who's who's coming in through the other through the window. <laughs> they this is like when they turn the lights Sir, on at the bar. They're like are, get out. <laughs> you horrible drunks. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. When go I, home and listen to your Taylor when Swift When I used record. to work at Petit Library at Penn State, which was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. I had like worked night shift there, which works with the black screen people are seeing right now on YouTube. Yeah. Um, my my I loved that job for any a million reasons, but I used to love going and closing up the main reading room, the big grand like main reading room, which I believe was the Paterno room. I imagine it's been renamed, but I... Uh, but anyway. I, anyways, um, but I used to love going and closing up that room because it was just fun and i got i had to like yell and bellow and you know the library is closing but the best part of that was during finals week when everyone is cramming and it would be just chock full of just desperate scared looking people and i would go in there at 11 you know 55 and say you know the library is closing and they'd all just go oh and i and I That's used, what's happening right now. And I would yell, you can't, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Well, our children and every who, time it got a big, big laugh. Well, our children who would like their dinner are saying, yeah, okay. bar's closed, mom, mom. dad. Uh, okay. So if this podcast is going to continue like with me trying to prioritize my mental health in the way that I should, it's going to need to be a lighter lift a lot of the time. Uh-huh. So, um, Listeners, if you're still here, that's good. That speaks well for the future of this program. If there's nobody left, then that speaks ill for the future of this program. Whatever. Uh, And uh, and either way is fine. You know, we like you either way. We like you know, love you just the way you are. It's you I like. It's you yourself. Sweet. I like you. I like you too. Okay. Thank you. All right. Make good choices. Talk to you next time.